Welcome to the Living Clean Podcast. I'm your co-host Mason S. With me as always is Travis K. This podcast is not meant to replace meeting, sponsorship, step work, or service. This is meant to be just another tool in your recovery toolbox. Our guests are here to share their experience, strength, and hope with recovery through Narcotics Anonymous. Thank you for joining us. All right. Welcome back to the Living Clean Podcast. I'm your co-host, Mason S. With me as always is TK. Yeah, yeah. And we are <laughs> back for another episode. We're done with the 12 steps. We're moving on into something different tonight. We are going to, we got an episode. We got two guests on. We're going to feature a sponsor and a sponsee. Um, they've been together for quite some time and want to kind of give some insight on what a long-term sponsor-sponsee relationship looks like. Uh, tonight we got Mr. Tim S. Tim, how you doing, brother? I'm good, Mason. How are you guys doing? Doing good. You want good. to tell us your uh, clean date and where your home group's at? Yeah, my clean date is May 29th, 1997. My home group is a survival group in Florence, Alabama. All right. And then now we'll move into JW. Yeah, my name's JW. Uh, my clean date is 421 of 96, and I attend the Tupelo group of Narcotics Anonymous. Wow. Mate, now check this out, Mason. The sponsee has more time than the sponsor. Yeah, what about that? What about that? That don't mean shit. <laughs> clean time does not equal recovery <laughs> i heard that yeah I'm sure, as, as i'm sure my my sponsor will attest to <laughs> i'm sure jw will tell you guys how exactly you know what how he and i got together what drew him to me and how we've been able to sustain a long-term relationship you know in recovery yeah and we're gonna we're gonna get to all that. First thing we want to do is start with you, Tim, and kind of talk about um, how important sponsorship was to you when you first got clean, and what you look for in a sponsor, and what that relationship was like. Okay, well my my first sponsor was a guy named Bill Brooks, and he uh, his clean date. My wife asked me today, "What was Bill's clean date?" His clean clean date was May 1st, 1976. And I met Bill uh, the first time I went to treatment. And that was in uh, 1992. And uh, he was uh, like a behavioral health tech, whatever you want to call it. He, he, uh, he did the body searches and stuff. And uh, and he uh, he did a body search on me, and he started snapping rubber gloves on, and said, "Okay, you know, God loves <laughs> bend over." So I mean, he, <laughs> he, uh, I got, we were we got intimate really Real quick. quick. You know? Real quick. <laughs> Bill, he was my sponsor for quite a while, and he ended up passing away, and uh, I got uh, another guy that that Bill sponsored as well. And he and I have been together. I, I don't know how long I'll just tell you. I mean, years start running together when you get older and, you know, it's just, it's not about how long we've been 
together as sponsor sponsee, but it's the the quality of all that time and him telling me, you know, I don't think you need to do this, or I think that's a great idea. You know, that's just, uh, just spot. That's what sponsorship is to me. It's at some point it turns into a long-term friendship and, you know, you get, uh, it's just like family, you know, it's like JW. He can come over here to my house and stay anytime he needs to. And it, it's just, that's just what it is to me. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a deep love and respect and uh, taking, having joy in what, in his successes. And Bill was the same way with me. You know, he, I, at the time he was sponsoring me, we, I was going through a lot of relationship stuff, problems with my, you know, with uh, my significant other. And at that that time, you know, I, I just wasn't, I wasn't a very responsible person then, you know, and that changed after a while. But, you know, I, Bill was a special man to me, you know, and if uh, I'm sure everybody that knows me knows that uh, you can go read Bill's story in the basic text. It's called, If You Want What We Have. And uh, I miss Bill. A lot of people miss Bill. He he entrusted Ryan uh, R., which is my sponsor, with uh, all the history stuff that he'd collected over the years. And I know that uh, you guys love history like we do. You know, I think that's it's important to know where we came from. You know, it's really important. But anyway, that's uh, that's my my deal with sponsorship in a nutshell. Uh, so, Tim, let me get this correct. Is was Bill like 15, 16 years at the time that you clean that you asked him to be your sponsor? Yes. Okay. And how many years did he have when he passed? Uh, I'm, I, I can't remember the exact date he passed. I have, I still have the thing from his funeral, but I should have dug it out and looked at it today. But he had, uh, he had close to 30 years clean, I think. That's a lot of time to collect. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what I want to, what I want to do is, is I want to kind of let the listeners, um, you know, for, for the most part, our, our listeners are fairly new and, um, we've got, we got a few old timers out there that listen to us, but what is, what was the significance of Bill and the state of Alabama as it relates to Narcotics Anonymous coming, you know, um, what was his influence over NA in Northern Alabama? Well, Bill started the first Narcotics Anonymous group in the state of Alabama. It was Open Minds and Miracles, and it still meets today in Decatur, Alabama. And that—that's he. Uh, I mean, he—he was—he was a proud member of Narcot Narcotics Anonymous and uh, Open Minds and Miracles group. All right. Well, let's. Uh... Let's roll on over to JW and we'll ask you kind of the same question, you know, um, about sponsorship and how crucial it was for you in early recovery. And then you can lead into how you and Tim uh, met and go from there. 
Well, I got introduced to our group uh, through a newspaper while I was out in the Texas penitentiary. So I started writing them uh, probably about a year before I got out. And there was a couple of people that wrote me. And, and then when I finally got there, um, I met this guy that he was an ex-convict too. And uh, yeah, I didn't know anything about recovery. I mean, you know, I was, I won't say I was in recovery because I wasn't. I was more in what I, I like to refer to as discovery. And I got in with these folks that um, they were kind of misled about what NA was. And anyway, I asked him to be my sponsor and, and, uh, and he could really uh, talk good recovery. I mean, I learned a lot of really good stuff from him. But when I watched him outside the meetings and, and even in the meetings, our personalities were more prevalent than any kind of principle. And so, uh, you know, we were referred to as NA Nazis and we wouldn't put up with a whole lot of anything that wasn't what we thought uh, NA was. So I mean, there was a lot of conflict and, and things like that. Um, but then, you know, all of a sudden he'd come up with some, <laughs> something that was really profound and, and it, it would affect me in a very positive way. I, I just couldn't live from it. Um, and so I, I met Tim, uh, he went to some meetings north of where I live and we did a lot of asphalt recovery back then. So I would go up to Corinth and and hang out at the crossroads group. And, and that's where I first heard Tim share and we'd hang, you know, we'd go to the meeting before the meeting and the meeting after the meeting. And, and so I got, you know, to watching him and uh, <clears throat> he was a lot softer, gentler man than me or my sponsor was. And so probably um, the turning point for me was when I got a call one night and my sponsor said, you know, um, I can't be your sponsor anymore. And so he had relapsed. And uh, matter of fact, he lived in a 15-year relapse and, and got killed on a motorcycle. Uh, he never got clean again. And so we lost a really good opportunity. I always hoped he would come back. And because I, I knew that I had changed and um uh, he just couldn't get away from the lifestyle. So when I asked him, as soon as I hung up with uh, my first sponsor, I, I called Tim and I said, Hey, you know, Elwood's done relapse and I need, I need a sponsor and I'd like for you to, and he said, well, why do you want me to be your sponsor? And I, I said, well, you're a softer, gentler man than I am. And I don't know how to do that. I'd like to. And his response was, you just come go with us and do what we do. I didn't know who us and we were. And so, you know, I, at that time, I couldn't do what they did. I wasn't able to, um, for several years, it was more about personality and my old behavior. And, you know, I didn't use drugs, but I used uh, words to hurt people and 
you know, it was really bad. And um, so anyway, I mean, at some point, um, Tim helped me. Well, there was this other guy that I had abused verbally for a long time. And we were at a retreat and Tim, you know, kind of gave me a heads up. So he's full of your shit, man. And he's probably going to beat you to death with a piece of firewood tonight. And, uh, you know, I, I laid there all night thinking about how I treated that fella. And, uh, it wasn't nothing like Tim treated him. And so I asked this guy for forgiveness. And his response was, I don't know why you want me to forgive you. You treat everybody like that. And uh, I said, well, I got to start somewhere. And uh, and so to make amends to him, I couldn't do that anymore. And I started to uh, change. And, uh, you know, Tim's brought me to a place more than once to where I had to look at my behavior. And, uh, you know, one of the questions he asked me one time was, what was your part in it? And I didn't have an answer. You know, I wanted to blame the woman I was with and he wouldn't let me do that no more. And so uh, there was a lot of pivotal moments like that to where he challenged the disease in me. And, uh, and he's helped me get rid of a lot of those uh, defects that really hurt me first and then it hurt other people, you know. So Tim, let me ask you, do you remember this, this moment when this happened? Was this in a step or was, was this just a phone call or? I don't remember exactly, but I think it was a phone call. Yeah. Yeah. It was a phone call about my, my second wife. <laughs> and, uh, you know, he said, well, what was that? What was your part in that, J.W.? And I said, didn't you hear what the bitch just did? I mean, what, are you listening? And he <laughs> said, yeah, I've been listening for about a week now, but you haven't ever said what your part is. And I swear to God, I had never thought that I had a part in it. I, I didn't even think like that. And uh, so that was a moment there that he challenged those old ideas and old, old attitudes that I needed to get rid of. And, uh, from now, I mean, he sucked it up for forever. Cause yeah. you know, I mean, I can't do anything without, I may be bitching about somebody else, but he'll, he'll tell you, I say, well, my part in it was, you know, because I've thought about that. What was my part in that? And, uh, Cause that's the only thing I can change. Well, Tim, let me ask you this. All right. Has, do you ever remember that kind of moment when Bill said the same thing to you? Oh yeah. Or, or your sponsor today? Uh, yeah. Well, Bill, I, by the time I have, I got the sponsor that I have now, I had, uh, most all JW's like me, his, relationship picker is uh i'm not gonna say it's broke it's it's kind of fucked up though you know and <laughs> but i mean i like me you know i was i was like that but by the time i got the sponsor that i have today i had worked through all that stuff but bill did uh you know him and another 
guy that wasn't my sponsor, but he was a counselor in treatment. His name was Reggie Watkins. He he died uh, a couple months ago, and uh, he he had a he would challenge me a lot. Reggie would, but Bill and just Bill and Reggie worked together at the same treatment center, and they knew exactly what I was going through with all this, you know, and they would tell me, you know, don't you get tired of uh, getting hit in the face with that two by four every time you open that door, you know, and they were right. I mean, that's just, it's, that's why it's so important that we're each other's eyes and ears. We can see stuff that's going on with someone and help them, you know, uh, or at least try to help them. You know, some people, are going to not accept anything. They're going to do what they want to do. You know, some people you can't, I'm not saying they can't be sponsored, but they don't listen very well. You know, that's been my experience. How long do you remember working with JW and before you started really, when you started really noticing the change and that he was doing some things different? Well, I'll tell you, I think that, that retreat that JW's talking about was a turning point. Don't you think that JW? I mean, absolutely. Um, yeah. That when, was, I asked, when I asked Chad for forgiveness and he said, yes, I knew I couldn't ever, if I was going to make amends, I couldn't ever do that again. And not only with him, but I couldn't do it with anybody else. Cause I can't half-ass be a good guy, you know, and not, talk shame you know shame other people um now jack comes out every once in a while but i pretty much keep him at bay because uh i've learned how to pause and not say the first thing comes to my mind because that you know i mean that's it was a default but today it's not um You think it's still a part of you, though? It's just something that doesn't control you anymore? Yes. It'll never go away. Yeah. Uh, that son of a bitch in my head talks to me all the time. He tries to get me to say ugly things. I mean, all the time. I mean, that's usually between me and my wife. Uh, that's the first thing that comes to my mind was something that Jack would say. And, and you know, I don't, I'm, JW don't want to treat my wife like that. I can't. And JW's wife will mention to me about Jack, which is <laughs> that little. Oh, yeah. that His little wife has the phone number. Yeah. Uh oh. Yeah. yeah. Well, she's. I love Debbie. You know, I mean, she's. <laughs> she's she'll probably one. Of, if I'm acting fucked up, she'll ask me. Says, "Have you talked to your sponsor today?" <laughs> it's usually, you know, we start our day together, and. Um, and she, and she knows that. Um, I tell everybody, my wife and my sponsor are shoulder to shoulder in the number one spot in my life. And that's the truth. I mean, they're the first people I think about pretty much every day. And, uh, you know, it's just the way it is. I mean, we built that kind of relationship, but it's taken years for us to do that. I mean, yeah. Hell, he used to call, uh, I'd call him or he'd call me and his, he'd, he'd say, uh, well, how are you doing today? And I said, well, I feel like a worthless piece of shit. And I did. 
<clears throat> and uh, he'd say, well, that's not what I see in you. And he said that enough over a period of time that I believed that he believed that or he saw something. I couldn't feel it. I mean, for a long time. I remember one time I went to a meeting, somebody said they had low self-esteem. I didn't know what that meant, but I figured I had it. So I called him and, and said, I think I figured out what's wrong with me. He said, what's that? I said, I think I got low self-esteem. And he said, well, just start doing things of esteem. I said, what the fuck, what does that even mean? He said, <laughs> you, you know, like a boy scout. I said, oh, you want me helping old ladies across the street now? And he said, yeah, if you see one struggling. Yeah. So he cut right through the bullshit. And, and that that's one thing that he's done for me time and time and time and time again. I can present him with a problem and he's got a really simple solution for it. it that, something that would never occur to me, you know, <laughs> for a long time. I just did not think that way. Well, let, yeah. let, let's go back on the other side of it. Tim, let, let's talk about how important this relationship's been for you and, and, and what it's meant to you over the years? Well, it's, uh, JW has probably been one of the closest friends I've ever had. I can, you know, I can share anything with him and he can share anything with me. I'm not saying that, you know, he sponsors me or anything like that, but, you know, it's just like he said, we we start our days together. Most mornings we're on the phone, having coffee, smoking cigarettes and, you know, talking about what we're going to do today or what was fucked up about yesterday. You know, I mean, it just, it's been, it's been really good for me to have uh, a friend that close. I never, you know, I have a couple of relatives that I'm close to. One being my nephew, he and I are really close. And but JW is, you know, him and my wife are just like on the top of my list, you know. I mean, and my that hasn't always been that way for me, you know. It's been uh, there's a lot of times when I didn't care, you know, about anything or anybody, and it's just really ha it's really good to have someone in your life that, you know, you can, uh, love and that love is reciprocated. You know I mean? It's not, it's like what Bill always used to tell me. He said, when you come around here, people start throwing love at you and it just, you just think, well, what's going on? That love just hits you and falls to the floor. And before you know it, you're grabbing that love and holding it and throwing it back to people. You know, that's, you know, that's what this, that's what the whole world needs more love. You know I mean? That's what, what would, uh, you know, what drew me uh, to JW and just being able to, to say, Hey, look, you know, I love you and I, I care about you and I want to help you and let's, uh, let's do this thing together, you know? Well, that's, that's really cool because you talk about doing it together because uh, something I remember early on, you know, uh, we haven't been in recovery that long. I mean, me and Mason both got five years, but uh, the kicker 
to the whole thing is like once you get that one sponsee that calls you every single day and then they ask you how your day is going and you might just happen to spill the pot right upon them and they start giving you know you solutions and then then all of a sudden you you stop for a minute and you're like wait a second who's sponsoring here you know i mean what is this anyway you know because yeah. you always think that you're one that's supposed to have all the answers but that ain't always necessarily the case no if it's sponsorship a- is not a two-way street it's either a dictatorship or it's a really dysfunctional fucking relationship yeah. uh you know i mean I've got sponsees that give me, I mean, they open up a place inside of me that I can't get to without them. You know, if they hadn't called me and talked to me about what was going on with them, and then I get to share my experience with them, um, yeah, I can't tell them what they need. I can just tell them what happened to me. I, I can't, uh, you know, that's not the way I've been sponsored. Um, and, and it's worked really well for me. So I just use that same way of letting people know, you know, and I'm going to tell you, Tim's been a great example. It, it's, it ain't like, oh, he says all these great and wonderful things. That was, that was the way my first sponsor was. He'd say some really cool shit, but he would not live it. And, uh, and I saw that and it was confusing. Uh, Tim's never really confused me with his yeah. behavior and then not, you know, being able to live, live into it. Um, but yeah, I believe that sponsorship, if it's not a two way street, then they probably need to get them another sponsor. Yeah. And I'll tell them that, you know, um, this ain't working for you because you're not being vulnerable, you know? And I just had a sponsor that told me today he's going to get another sponsor. And I thought, thank God. Cause he ain't, he ain't been calling me. I, I, I mean, I can't sponsor somebody if they don't talk to me yeah. about real yeah. shit. You know, I can't sponsor you. Uh, well, it may be what's best for both of you. It is. It, I, I believe, you know. Yeah. Uh, you finally found something you can agree on. Yeah, finally. Yeah. yeah. But I mean, I hope the best for them. You know, I hope they find what they're looking for. Yeah, somebody that they can be vulnerable with. And, sure. Uh, I mean, that's that's ultimately that's what you know we want for each other. We want mm-hmm. each, we want that recovery. You know, we want to to stay clean and have a better life and, and kind of get a little insight on you know how how our brain works. You know, I mean, that's just it's the way I feel about it. You know. Yeah. I think that's good for the people listening too. to, you know, if you feel like your relationships got stagnant with your sponsor and you, you know, if it's not really working up, there's nothing wrong with going a different direction. We got to do what's best for us, you know, um, for a lot of different reasons. Um, but anyways, what I wanted to ask you to next, I want to clarify that. What? Don't just get a sponsor because the sponsor that you've got is telling you to do the right stuff. You know what I'm saying? Because yeah. some of them will tell you the right stuff, and they're like, well, I don't want to do that. I want to do what I want to do. And if yeah. I get a sponsor that don't give a shit, then that's the perfect reason to do that. 
But huh. I'm just saying, I was just wanting to clarify. You're saying that. don't don't find somebody that's going to co-sign your bullshit. That's that's it in a nutshell. Yeah. 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 No, yeah. I agree completely. Yeah, I went all the way around the mountain for that answer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, But what I want to ask you two next, because I know you're both married, um, and if you're anything like me, I know a lot of what I've learned through sponsorship and the relationships that I've got through other men in this fellowship has really helped me out a lot in that area. And do you, do y'all feel the same way? And what's your experience with that? Well, I mean, my wife, uh, she used to be involved in the fellowship, you know, and I still invite her to go places all the time. You know, I mean, she works and she works, she has a, I'm not going to say a really physically demanding job, but she works hard at anything she does. And, you know, it's uh, for me, she, she doesn't say anything about anything I want to do recovery related. You know, I mean, I, I go uh, to meetings when I need to. And most of all, when I want to, which is, you know, I want to go to a lot more. My home group is is an hour away from where I live, and uh, but she, I, I think recovery has really helped me to be a better person in my marriage and uh, to not uh, do a bunch of crazy shit like I used to. You know, but I mean that's it's definitely been good for me. You know. What about you, J. Debbie? Uh, well, my wife not in the fellowship, but she she enjoys coming to functions and hearing speakers and conventions and things like that. Um, but yes, uh, you know the things I've learned from Tim, you know, um, and uh, and other people too. That it just everything follows my recovery everything in my life. And if I don't put it first, uh, then those things are going to start to suffer because I'm not working daily, you know, living from the program. Uh, you know, that, that's where I see a lot of folks, uh, in the past and, you know, today they get in, they, they, they're really enthusiastic. And if enthusiasm doesn't turn to willingness, then they're just fucking excited. But willingness sometimes is not exciting. It's not. Um, I have to do things that I've made commitments to. And, and they're inconvenient sometimes. But I made a commitment to this program. Um, I can never give it back what it's given me. Um, you know, Tim and I talk about this a lot. Uh, we don't keep score. But if I did, you know, the cost would be very, very low and the payoff would be very, very high for me. Because all I, a lot of days, all I have to do is show up and there's something waiting for me. When, you know, it's an empty room until we get there. And it's just chairs until we sit in. And I'm going to tell you, man, that circle is, is full of a power 
It's the disease's worst nightmare is what it is. When we're in there together, uh, that we thing, oh my God. You know, it, like what Tim said in the very beginning, you know, like come go with us and do what we do. He didn't say, now you listen to me because I know every fucking thing. <laughs> and you need to do what I tell you to do. No. You're going to fucking die. He didn't uh, do that. You know, he included others in his statement. And, and that really was like, okay, I don't know who we, you know, us is and we do. And, but I was, I was curious, you know, because I'd seen the results of what he was getting through his actions. And that's going to, you know, he was attractive. To that me. reminds me so much of when I asked Chip. You know, I was like, I'm just going to work some steps, you know, yeah. get clean in this. And man, there was so much more, you know, it was like, we're going to go do this and we're going to do that and blah, blah, blah. And there's going to be a bunch of us there. And I'm like, man, I just, I just want to work some steps and just stay <laughs> clean. You know, I don't know about all this extras, you know what I'm saying? But man, what a blessing. Yeah. I'm going to tell you our sponsorship family. The men in our family, of course, it's grown exponentially over the years. But in the very beginning, it was there was probably about twelve of us that would show up for retreats, and and some of them ain't even around anymore. Uh, but there was some stuff happened around them campfires. I mean, that really was attractive to like the vulnerability and, and the things like that, that I'd never had with men that I think that's what really gave me the idea that, okay, I found my place here. You know, these guys have accepted me even when I was unacceptable. Yeah. They keep letting me come. They keep letting me come hang out with them when I'm a fucking asshole. <laughs> you know? yeah. So that was like, where else could I go <clears throat> that they didn't bar me from that place? You know, <laughs> you can't come back. <laughs> 12 people at a retreat. Can you imagine that? That'd be yeah. some oh, easy yeah. cooking, wouldn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I, I'll tell you, I'll tell you a little story about JW. He, when he was incarcerated, he wrote letters. Uh, his, his daddy would, would uh, send him the newspapers, the, the Tupelo newspapers. And they had a, a listing in there for Narcotics Anonymous. And J.W. started writing. He started uh, communicating with, wasn't it Peggy, J.W.? Uh, there was a girl named uh, uh, Rita. Rita. Okay. Rita and Lori. Lori. And, and uh, Steve. Oh, yeah. Crazy Steve. Yeah. But J.W. wrote letters and they would uh, bring those letters and pin them up on the bulletin board at the Tupelo group, which <clears throat> by that time I was involved in service. And I would, like JW said earlier, we would do asphalt recovery. And we were doing that before JW ever got out of, out of jail or penitentiary. And uh, he would, uh, I would read those letters on the wall. And I would think, you know, this guy will never show up. We'll never see him. And we did, you know, I mean, that's just, you can't, 
people that you think you'll never see again will be probably most likely the ones that you'll be seeing 25 years later. And I, I've got the, the introductory letter that I, the first letter I sent to the Tupelo group, it was still on the bulletin board when I got there and I took it down and, and uh, I ran across it not long ago. And, and I got it framed here in my office to remind me daily. Not only do I not want to go back <laughs> to that place, but uh, you know how those people, I was just paper and ink on a bulletin board. They didn't know me, uh, but they took time out of their day and, and wrote me and, and uh, gave me some really, uh, and all they did was talk about what NA was doing for them and how their lives were different. So it gave me some hope. That's a really cool story, JW, yeah. because I think this is how this podcast was actually founded. Yeah, that was our idea is because, you know, one of our, one of the guys that had spent a lot of time told us that they now got tablets in there that they can listen to podcasts. And so, man, I hope they're listening to this. Yeah, I hope you are. And if you do, take a little bit of what JW's saying and, you know, believe it or not, you can still write letters to people in 2023. Um, where, where did you get that idea? I know in what can I do, it kind of, it, it, it talks about that a little bit. What gave you the idea to write the letter? I, look, I had pen pals. Uh, people would write me. My parents had friends that would write me and send me um, mostly religious stuff, you know, Christian paraphernalia. But anyway, <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know what to call it, literature, you know, and, and, you know, trying to save me because they knew I was a bad a sinner. And, uh, but, you know, I mean, I had a lot of women that were locked up that I would write. You know, we had fantasy lives that we lived. But I'd write my kids. And, I mean, I come from, an, I'm 67, man. I come from a time of writing letters. You know, that wasn't like uh, something weird for me. Uh, my dad sent me a whole, you know, I'd write him and say, hey, I need some envelopes. He sent me a whole daggum box of, uh, you know, legal size um envelopes and then they would send me stamps and and so i i had a lot of uh people that i wrote letters to and i don't know i just uh to me a letter is intimate you know you have to take time to sit down and put pen to paper you know it's like step work i mean you have to take time out of your day to do that and to share uh, in a letter, you know, and it's permanent. I mean, you can keep it and go back and read it again. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that's, that's one of the neatest stories I've heard though, talking about, you know, writing letters to the NA group, then posting it up and then eventually you showing up. That's pretty cool. It was cool. That's pretty cool. It was pretty cool. Tim seen those letters and then yeah. never yeah. knew. That this much time later, yeah, it's pretty cool. We were on a collection course then. So I had some people um, write in some questions. <laughs> this first one's pretty funny. Uh, I can only imagine. 
Well, one of your sponsees wrote this question. Oh, yeah. It says, what are your thoughts on the 12 concepts? And how do you apply them? Is that what he said? What avenue do you use to study them? Oh, okay. Either one of you, if you don't. Well, I mean, I, I use them in service. Yeah. They're, they're a guide, just like the traditions are, just like the steps are. Um, you know, I think they're needed as far as if you if you're just starting out in service, it's a, it's a good guide. And if you're a part of a service body, you use those to, you know, look at the person that's wanting to do service. And you could ask them every one of those concepts and kind of get an idea of, of where they're at, you know. So I, yeah. I think they're useful. There's some controversy behind it. You have to ask Ryan R about that. I, I thought well, I thought about asking whether we needed to call him in. We probably need to call. But him we didn't have enough, we didn't have enough time left to be able to have his uh to to have him share his input on the. You'd probably have to have a whole time just set aside for. Ryan. Yeah, that'd be a whole episode. It'd be a whole episode. The twelve concepts of world domination as of world it. domination. <laughs> <laughs> oh you no, know, I never have I never have really bought into the controversy thing. I mean, I don't know anything about it all. Um, I just know there's human beings involved and they'll fuck up some shit, man. You know. There used to be a forum. These people would meet. I mean, this has been 20 years ago, uh, it was called a Southern Zonal Forum. I don't even know if they still meet or not. Yes, they do. Well, they they uh, had, you know, study groups and stuff for the concepts. And I went to a few of those forums. Uh, and, you know, it, it was something that I, a lot of it I couldn't wrap my head around. But it was good. It's good to have them when you need them. I mean, in service, sometimes you need a, you need to clarify something and, you know, it's right there. We have the literature, you know, I mean, I'm grateful for that too. You know I mean? I don't, I don't study it, but you know, I, uh, I know it's there and I know that uh, it's been used in service bodies that I've been involved with. So, you know, the 12 concepts. Yeah. I know in my experience, it saved us a lot of, uh, time spinning our wheels on these endless loops that we couldn't get out of like and i'm talking about even on the home group level you know in service and uh it's really helped us come out of it um you know and we stayed stuck in some of these endless loops for a long time and actually some of us looking into the concepts really helped us out of those um this next question i'll ask for you tim it says um we have all read the NA literature, which NA reading all of a sudden hit differently uh, in a life-changing way and it changed your perspective, even though you had heard it a bunch of times? Well, my, my favorite uh, chapter in the book is chapter five. What can I do? You know, and I, I didn't, uh, you know, I didn't, I didn't read it over and over and over because a lot of groups have it in their meeting format. 
my home yeah. group at the time didn't have it in their format, but the group that my home group now, we read it and we don't just read part of it. You know, we read the, the whole, everything in italics in the, the front part of the book. And what, what really, you know, helped me was, uh, says the first, uh, four words of it are begin your own program. Yeah. You know, for me, it was, uh, you know, that was something that I'd never thought about. I thought about, oh, this is going to be a bunch of classes and stuff, you know, and it was just, but to know that I could have my own program, I could, you know, do things the way I wanted to do, you know, and uh, just that's what opened the door for recovery for me, you know. And that goes back to what JW was talking about with you. And, you know, that's ultimately why I chose you to be my sponsor too, is because my dad was very similar. Like he didn't, he was in recovery for a long time, but he didn't preach at me. He just showed me, you know, he walked it out. And I think, I don't think none of us in recovery like being told what to do and you better do this or you don't need to do that. You know, the best way to carry the message is like we were talking about on the last episode is carry is a verb. So carry the message, just walk it out. And that's the best people ask me all the time. You know, I got this peer mentor program. They say, what can I do to help others? I said, take the time and help yourself and you'll help more people than you And you won't ever have to say a word. But yeah, that's. Yeah. Uh, that's right. going to read D's. Yeah, go ahead. All right. Well, this comes from D. Up in Cookville. Says, what do you believe is the most undervalued resource in the NA program today and why? JW, you want to try to answer that? It's probably our literature, man. Like like we were talking about. Hell, we got every handbook, every um I mean any kind, anything that we do in Narcotics Anonymous, they've already figured it out. It, it ain't like we got to rewrite the whole damn thing. You know, we ain't got to rewrite none of it. It's just, it's right there. Um, I, I know I, I'm the treasurer of our group and I, I, I do all the literature ordering. I order handbooks all the time and, and for H&I, for I've got the, you know, the 12 concepts, the little, that little red book about them. Um, got to guide the local services, um, you know, all the pamphlets about the group, the inventories, all that stuff at, in the locker at, at, at the meeting. So somebody, you know, comes along that is curious, I'll give them that literature. Now, what they do with it, hell, I don't know. I, you know, I tell them, put it on the back of their commode. And when they go in there, you know, just pick it up and start reading it. And then it may take you a couple of trips, but. Or somebody else may go in there and reach down. And and make, the yeah. <laughs> but I mean, <laughs> to me, that, that is the most undervalued thing for, you know, and that's to me is what sponsorship could be is to introduce people. I know we've got a guy that, that came to our group here recently, um, and all his, you can tell who's, who he's sponsoring because they bring their books to the meeting. Mm. And that's a requirement from him is you bring your literature with you. 
And they'll be in that literature. I mean, and, and you can tell that that's having a profound effect on these guys. Um, to me, that to me that's that's it. You know. Uh, yeah, I, I guarantee you, I... you ask the people you're in service with if they've ever seen a guide to local services, <laughs> and ask you know, I mean, really, yeah. or or whatever their position is. Can you tell me what the guide to local services says your your responsibilities are? You know, I mean, it's it's kind of like okay, <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> yeah, and and I think um, IPs are another thing that's underused. Yeah. Uh, I yeah. do the ordering for the IPs, and I noticed that we don't go through a whole lot of them. No. They do at the treatment centers so that we yeah. do H&I at, but, yeah. you know, a lot of the individual problems that we deal with, there's somebody else that's not only dealt with it, they wrote a fucking IP about it. That's and it can really help us with a lot of things. And it's, it's from their hard-won experience. You know, they yeah. made a lot of mistakes along the way. And so they learn from them. And then somebody that was really smart and had probably been to college and had a fucking English grammar and all that shit, you know, punctuation and stuff and knew what word to put where, uh, wrote, all, you know, helped write all that stuff. And uh, yeah, mine would have a lot of uh, run-on sentences and <laughs> in with prepositions. And, well, that's probably the reason why we've got six editions. Yeah. Yes, sir. Yeah, when we didn't need but one. Uh oh, here we go. <laughs> That's a whole nother episode. Open, I opened my basic text, an old one, and I had a. I've got some notes in here. I don't know where these notes came from. They're written on an envelope. I want to read you some about. I mean, it's about literature. So when a member carries a message, he is somewhat bound by interpretation and language. I don't know if that's in the book somewhere or water where I even took these notes. The problem with literature is language. Feelings intensify and strengths are sometimes lost. What is our message? Everybody knows what our message is. An addict, any addict can stop using, lose the desire to use and find a new way to live. Our message is hope and the promise of freedom. When all is said and done, our primary purpose can only be to carry the message to the addict who still suffers because that is all we have to give. That's it. And I think that's universal regardless of the language. I think we can all understand that. Yeah. Yeah. My favorite meeting is a book study because if there's 20 people there and 10 of them share, I'm going to get 10 different interpretations or experience or or whatever they share about what stood out to them and it get, it kind of broadens my foundation of different perspectives on the same thing and that's what i like about it is you know my limited way of looking at things can broaden by somebody else sharing what it meant to them and yeah yeah, and and look, I've heard some interpretations that when I was very early on that didn't make a fucking bit of sense to me, <laughs> but now it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what's um, a, what's the one stage of recovery may not be later and vice versa, you know? Yeah. I mean, yeah. But I'm sure y'all can 
attest to this too. I've also heard some of the most profound shit from somebody who ain't who ain't got no time. Just you know, maybe a day or a couple of days, they'll come in and say some of the mo- or at least take you back to the feeling of what it felt like to be where they were at. And you know, I but think you tell me. Be nice to the newcomer. He might be your sponsor one day. <laughs> yeah. They used to tell me that too back on the street. They said, you know, don't uh don't fuck the guy over you're selling dope to because someday he'll be selling dope to you. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> oh, all right. Yeah. So while well, I got two more questions. Here's here's the next one. This comes from Amanda H. It says after 20 plus years, um, why do you continue to stay? And are there things that you do different than when you first got here? And do you still do some of the things that you were doing, that you've been doing since day one? Well, for me, you know, this is people I love are here. You know, the people that I'm closest to are here. And I mean, it's like I was talking earlier. It's like family to me. You know, I mean, it's just, I mean, even though Mason and Mason and I have the last name, same last name, you know, everybody will say, you know, you guys, brothers, cousins, no relation. No relation. That's, uh, uh, for me, that's why I'm I'm still here. And that's what, uh, you know, as far as do I, what do I do the same? Well, I talk to another recovering addict at least one every day, you know, sometimes more. I have, I have, uh, I have a few sponsees, six or seven guys. And uh, most of the, most days I get calls from several of them, you know, it's, it's not always my ass is on fire, but you know, it's, I mean, you gotta, that's what I want. I want to, I want relationships in here. I want to get close to people. And I want people to know me, you know, I mean, I, I don't, I probably don't go to as many meetings as I should, but I am doing service. I'm back involved in service. And that's, uh, you know, JW's, uh, got, had something to do with that, you know, getting me and my sponsor back involved in service, you know, we're still working more of the older guys, but, you know, I mean, I think that, that our our area needs some experienced people and they don't need they don't need to have to just keep swapping the jobs around you know i mean that's eventually i want to now i'm just representing my group you know as the gsr and but eventually i'll I'll get back into doing some other stuff too i i've done a lot of a lot of different service and you know i I think I think you get to missing it when you hadn't done it in a while. You know, if you get yeah. back involved, it's just even if somebody just pushes you in there, kicking and screaming, you know, or shames the fuck out of you. Either way, yeah, yeah. There you well, go. They, That's they, what I was looking for, Mason. Yeah, they they toting wood and water again. Yeah, you beat me to it, JW. I was getting ready to say it. I was like toting the wood and water. I'm they toting, toting wood and water. Wood water. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> I think the one thing that I do different today than I was in the very beginning is I listen without a response in mind. I listen to understand that person that that's sharing. Because I think if if you really listen to a person, 
of what they're saying and then what they don't say, you kind of get an inside view of where they're coming from. And uh, to me, that's, you know, but I thought the only thing that I'm still doing that I was doing early on is go, I go to, I go to a lot of meetings. Um, I hadn't made one this week cause I was at a funeral Monday, uh, Tuesday, uh, I can't remember what I did last night, but, uh, oh, I had a, a, a dinner engagement that my wife set up for me. And then tonight I'm on this podcast. So I may have to make a meeting tomorrow night or I'm relapsed. Oh, all right. So, go ahead, Tim. No, I just told JW don't relapse. (laughs) No, don't do that. Call Uh, somebody. Last question I got is from somebody that's uh, been clean for almost ninety days. He asked, "Do you ever get past being uncomfortable calling somebody else every single day?" talking about calling his sponsor every day. He still feels uncomfortable 80 something days in and what y'all I've never been to? uncomfortable calling people. I, I just, I never have. Um, and I tell people, if you think you're bothering me, uh, what, you know, to me, it, it, you're giving them an opportunity when you answer the phone, to not only get me out of my shit, but to give, you know, when I call somebody and ask for help, I'm giving them an opportunity to build self-esteem, to do what God intended for them to do is to help others. You know, we can rob people of that opportunity if we don't reach out to them, you know? So I've never been uncomfortable that way. Um, I don't know. I've never felt that. One thing about JW is if you call him and he doesn't answer, he'll send you a text that says, I'll call you back ASAP. <laughs> what it says. Every yeah. time. It's a standard thing in your phone. <laughs> I usually send a text after that too. Yeah. To let them know what I'm doing. <clears throat> well, I guess if all I wanted to do, if I remain closed off, for those 80 days and I never really opened up and talked about anything that would get uncomfortable too. Yeah. You know, well, it is a little uncomfortable. It really is. You know, like calling somebody a stranger, you know, like, Hey man, how you doing? And you just kind of sit there and there's this long period of silence. Like, is he going to say anything or am I going to have to talk? I never hung out with anybody that talked about anything that was real anyway. I never hung out with people that wanted to get clean or, or talk about real shit. The only thing we talked about was how's we, how are we going to get what we need and not get caught? And we had a plan. And then when we went and executed the plan, sometimes plan went as plan went. And sometimes the shit went fucking south real quick. So, you know, I mean, I don't have to worry about that no more. <laughs> you know, I mean, shit. Call your sponsor. Call your sponsor. Fuck it. If you're uncomfortable talking to your sponsor, <laughs> you might want to get another. That's what was my suggestion was going to be. Yeah. If you can't be, you know, if you're having trouble calling someone, you know, maybe that's not the right person for you. But I, I wouldn't give up on it too fast because, you know, gonna you want to have 
relationships and recovery, you know, and when it, when you're new, uh, especially you want to have someone that you can talk to, you can reach out to, you don't, Bill always used to tell me, you don't have to tell everybody everything, but you better find somebody you can trust that you can tell everything to. Yeah. So that's for me, that, that was important. Yeah. Well, fellas, an hour flew by fast. I couldn't thank y'all enough for coming on here and spending some time with us and sharing with us. I love you both, uh, dearly. And, uh, thank you again. Absolutely love y'all, guys. Yeah, yeah. We love y'all. We'll be back next week. See y'all then. Thank you for joining us on our Living Clean podcast. This is another platform that we can share our message of recovery, which is an addict, any addict, can stop using drugs, lose the desire to use, and find a new way to live. Join that no matter what club. You can contact us through text. The number is 931-306-9364.